You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Filter Free Podcast. I am your host, TJ Stevens. Boy, I'm problematic. Out of my left earbud. Getting off to a banging start here. Joining me as always. Step hands. Dollar Bill Day. I touch myself. I, I just need to clip that. Just Dave. <laughs> it for, I've done myself. And Timmy C. Goo, goo, goo. Dave is awesome. And he got a new hat and a toy. <laughs> Are you drunk? Yes or no? And it's marked on the right-hand side for both. Time element drawers get my panties wet. I love it. We've covered this butt wipe on a few different occasions. Butt wipe? You don't talk about butt wipe anymore? No. I'm not I'm not seven. Good news is I've limited the producer's amount to screw us over this, so we're actually gonna get to sing along with the songs now. You are welcome. Hello and welcome. To the Filter Free Podcast. I'm Dollar Bill Dave. And unfortunately, our favorite knothead, Timmy C, is under the weather with the flu. But the show must go on. TJ is still out taking care of his wonderful bride, Jamie. We are still thinking of you and love you, girl. Get better. So this week, the special guest host is from Evolution of Evil, the St. Jude dude, the FFP fund director, Justin. Thank you for having me, Dave. Uh, I definitely cannot fill the shoes of TJ, but I can definitely fill about two or three shoes of Tim. So I'm glad to be invited and thanks for having me. Yeah, please remember to rate and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're at it, follow the show on X at FF Popcast, on Instagram at Filter Free Popcast, and you can follow our network on X at Filter Free Net. If you don't know what X is, it's Twitter. Speaking of our Patreon network, for only $10 per month, you get exclusive content like Legends, Let's Rethink This, Footballers, Getting Paid with Tim and Dave. I went seven and three last week. That's awesome. We Somebody did a special. Got paid. We did a special double episode because we missed the week before. You also get Evolution of Evil with Justin. He and I just spoke. We are going to pump one of those out here in the coming days, so be on the lookout. That's right. We've got a couple episodes already written, so we are itching to get back, and we definitely, out of respect, uh, took some time off for TJ, and we uh, will have some guest hosts on that uh, while he's out, uh, but he will be back and better than ever. We also have wrestling rewrite, 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 rewrite. It's easy for you to say. Wrestling with commercials and dibs on our fun events. With our next being in Tampa Bay at the Royal Rumble in January. If you're interested in being a part of the sweet life at the Royal Rumble, reach out to the show on X and get signed up now. As limited seating is left. Yeah, it's crazy. We have two suites and almost all seats are sold out. It's going to be so much fun. I cannot wait. 
Yep. We even have a block of hotel rooms. So if you are looking for a hotel room, you can still experience the sweet light life, even if you don't join us for the rumble. There you go. Also, make sure to check out our friends over at the Premier Streaming Network over at watchonpremiere.com. Subscribe and get access to tons of shows like Everybody's Got a Pod with Ted DiBiase, One of a Kind with Rob Van Dam, Sabu Speaks, Bumming with Bobcat with our boy Bumwine Bob. You have about 900 different shows featuring Josh Chernoff. And let's not forget IRFB and the game event with our best friend, Efren. This week, we're going back to... November 15th, 1998, the Attitude Area. We are covering Sunday Night Heat, but let's first go back to what was happening in your world yesterday. Stories that missed the cut. November 1st, Steve Young and Jerry Rice hook up for their 80th career touchdown and the 49ers 36 to 22 loss to the Green Bay Packers. That's crazy. 80 touchdowns together. It's crazy. Even crazier is you have me sticking with cheeseheads here. On November 2nd, Jordan Love, American NFL quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, is born in Bakersville, California. Yeah, so far I'm not impressed with him. Yeah, you wrote this though. November 3rd, 400 Degrees, the third studio album by Juvenile, is released on Universal Records and Cash Money Records. I have that CD. I'm assuming this was November 4th, Devontae Smith, American NFL wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles and Heisman Trophy winner at Alabama, is born at Amite City, Louisiana. November 6th, Sky Low Low, Marcel Gauthier, Canadian professional wrestler, died of a heart attack at the age of 70. On November 9th, brokerage houses are ordered to pay $1.03 billion to NASDAQ investors to compensate for price fixing. This was the largest civil settlement in U.S. history. Skipping ahead to November 17th, My Favorite Diva, Whitney Houston releases her fourth studio album, My Love Is Your Love. On November 19th, Vincent Van Gogh's Portrait of an Artist Without a Beard and an Ear sells at an auction for $71.5 million. Insanity. Yes. $71.5 million. November... November 22nd, the Calgary Stampeder defeat the Hamilton Tiger Cats 26-24 to win the CFL Grey Cup. Future four-time Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl quarterback and Tampa Bay Buccaneers legend Jeff Garcia is named the MVP of the game. Well, he was, he was with Tampa in some down years, wasn't he? Yes, yeah, no, Ooh, I mean, boy. most of them were. I mean, we've had some down years. Oh, yeah, more to so, come. So now we, uh, 
move back into uh, stories in the wheelhouse for November 1998. November 16th, Monica Lewinsky signs a deal for North American rights to a book about her affair with, at the time, U.S. President Bill Clinton. The name of the book would eventually be Monica's Story and was written by Andrew Morton. Lewinsky was drawn to Morton for her book uh, as he was the author of Diana, Her True Story, which blew the lid off the princess's troubled marriage with Prince Charles. Now, if you don't know who Monica Lewinsky is and why she's famous, you need to get out more or perhaps get off like President Clinton did. <laughs> Monica's story ended up being published and released in February of 1999. And it was rumored at the time that the rights for the book was somewhere in the neighborhood of $600,000. Dave, what's your take on this? The former White House intern whose sexcapades became the forefront for the impeachment of then President Clinton reportedly shopped the book deal for millions, but didn't even get close to that amount. Lewinsky stated that she had nine sexual encounters with President Clinton in the Oval Office between November of 95 and March of 1997. According to her own testimony, those involved fellatio or other sexual acts, but not intercourse. Under oath, Clinton denied having a sexual affair, sexual relations, or a sexual relationship in any way with Lewinsky. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. It depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. Independent counsel Kenneth Starr obtained a blue dress from Lewinsky with the president's semen stained on it, as well as testimony from her that the president had enter and, and had inserted a cigar into her vaginal regions. Kinky. I like it. Eventually, the president would claim, I did have a relationship with Miss Lewinsky that was not appropriate. But he denied committing perjury because, according to Clinton, the legal definition of oral sex was not encompassed by sex per se. You have to love lawyers. The whole Clinton Lewinsky scandal was completely bonkers in the late 90s, and it was seemingly all the news talked about. All in all, I feel bad for Monica Lewinsky. Granted, she's made a good chunk of money off this, but her life will forever be tainted as the girl who gave head to the president and fucked a cigar. Instead of everything else out there she's done or tried to accomplish. Man, I can't tell you how much I've waited to get out of a podcast that just talks about people who kill and commit crimes. This shit is what I've been waiting for. The worst crime here? Perjury. Yep. I remember in 98 where we were juniors in high school and all it was talking about was what was the definition of oral sex? Was it sex? and Everything else. Oh, I mean, it was... The news was insane. Saturday, I mean, you're getting the stuff that they would never ever talk about on television was all over every news broadcast for a year. Saturday Night Live had a field day for years. Yes, they did. This. Yes, they did. So, Dave, uh, I will say, uh, going from pop culture in one realm to another. November 17th, Mariah Carey released her greatest hits album, Number Ones. Released by Columbia Records, the album contained Carey's then 13 number one singles on the Billboard Hot 100, as well as four new songs. That's great. Just think about that. 
13 number one singles. And she had been around six, seven years. She was great. She still is. I mean, yeah. I mean, she's a little cuckoo now, but. Well, I think a a lot of us are cuckoo at at this point. So uh, us not included. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm normal. Yes. In Japan, however, the album also included her popular single, All I Want for Christmas is You. Get ready because we're going to be hearing that a lot in the upcoming weeks. It will start on Friday. Uh, Which is Carrie's biggest selling single there. uh, And up until 2022 was dubbed the Queen of Christmas due to the success of the song. The album was met with some criticism, however, regarding the new songs and the decision only to include Carrie's number one hits in the United States. But it became a worldwide commercial success regardless. Number ones debuted at number four on the Billboard 200, topped the charts in Japan, Japan, Greece, Malaysia, and Taiwan, and reached the top 10 throughout almost every major worldwide music market. Now, Dave, can you imagine this? She makes a killing off of number ones before. She releases another album full of the same songs that were number ones and makes another killing. Yeah, she's just double dipping at that point. I, I it just back in those days you could do that. You can't do that anymore with the way it's all digital and downloads and people already have it. So you're not going out and physically buying albums anymore. But it's just I mean, you think about it. Music names like Michael Jackson, Madonna. Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, Garth Brooks. Think of how much money they made off their regular album sales and then how much money they made by just releasing another album with their top hits from those other album sales. Just money to be made everywhere. As of 2021, the album Number Ones has sold over 15 million units worldwide. Not too shabby for an album that requires little to no work. Since Carrie intended number ones to serve as a sign of gratitude to her fans, the album did contain four new songs not previously included on her past albums, with the first being that bomb-ass song, Sweetheart, performed as a duet with co-producer and rapper Jermaine Dupree. I love that song. Throughout 1998, the songs Carrie was compiling for the compilation led to a public dispute with Columbia Records. Carrie insisted that while the the compilation was not a greatest hits collection, so Sony titled the album Number Ones to reflect the fact that the album was a collection of her number one hits rather than her greatest or favorite songs. Carrie has frequently cited her 1996 work Underneath the Stars and the 1998 jam Breakdown with Bone Thugs and Harmonies as examples of songs she was unsuccessful in releasing on the collection. Due to this, Carrie has expressed distaste towards the album's song selection, expressing the omission of her favorite songs. Unlike how she did with ODB, going back like Babies and Pacifiers. I love that song, too. Our next person on November 22nd, Jeff Gordon, did not go back like Babies and Pacifiers with Mariah Carey. However, he won the 48th uh, NASCAR Sprint Cup Championship. While 1998 was the 50th season of professional stock car racing in the United States, 
and the 27th Modern Era Cup Series, it was officially the 48th season where the winner was awarded the NASCAR Sprint Cup or Winston Cup, as referred to at the time. The season included 33 races and three exhibition races, beginning with the Daytona 500 at Daytona International Speedway and ended with the Napa 500 at Atlanta Motor Speedway. The championship for Gordon was the third championship of his career and his third in the last four seasons. Even though Gordon didn't win the biggest race of the year at Daytona, he had a remarkable season and truly dominated the sport. In 1998, he won the overall championship points by 364 points over second-place finisher Mark Martin. In the last race of the season in Atlanta, Gordon was able to pick up his 13th win of the year, tying Richard Petty for the most wins in a single, se- in a single season during the modern era. To this day, no one has been able to win more than 10 races in a single season, making it all that much more remarkable. For the year, Gordon went on to not only have 13 wins, but 26 top five finishes. 26 top top five finishes in 33 races. 28 top tens, including 17 straight top fives at one point and 20 straight top 10 finishes at one point. It's five races for the whole year he finished outside the top 10. That is absolutely unheard of. Almost as unheard of as making a gay man cover NASCAR on a podcast. <laughs> hey, I like NASCAR. <laughs> I digress. First, you have Efren last week. Now you have me. Uh, November 29th, giant haystacks, Martin Ruan, English professional wrestler, dies at the age of 52 from lymphoma. Born in Camberwell, London on October 10th, 1946. He weighed in at 14 pounds and 6 ounces at birth. Good lord, his poor mama. After quitting school at the age of 14, he worked as a scraper diver, building motorways. Not diver, driver. Driver. That's all right. (laughs) Hooked on phonics will work for one of us at the end of the day. And as a nightclub bouncer, before a friend suggested he take up professional wrestling. Usually seems to be the case for most of the professional wrestlers back then. Yeah, either somebody at a gym or a friend's like, dude, you're huge. You need to get into wrestling. Exactly. Known for his massive physical size and build as a standing uh, six foot 11 and weighing as much as 670 pounds towards the end of his career, Giant Haystacks became one of the best known wrestlers on the British wrestling scene in the 1970s and 80s. You may perhaps know Giant Haystacks in the United States if you were a fan of the mid-90s era of WCW when he joined the Dungeon of Doom under the name of the Loch Ness. Ruan began wrestling in 1967, initially for the independent WFGB as Luke McMasters before moving over to the Wrestling Enterprises where he was billed as Haystacks Calhoun after the American star William Calhoun, who had wrestled under the then NWA All-Star Wrestling and Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Eventually, Ruan would modify his name to Giant Haystacks. In the summer of 1975, Haystacks moved to Joint Promotions, where he formed a tag team with Big Daddy. After a two-year run together as the top heel team in Joint Promotions, 
Haystacks and Big Daddy split and would go on to feud with each other all over England for more than a decade. Over the course of his career, Giant Haystacks was a one-time British Wrestling Federation European heavyweight champion, one-time Joint Promotions British heavyweight champion, and one-time Stampede Wrestling International Tag Team champion with the Dynamite Kid. That's amazing. He's mainly remembered in America as Loch Ness and the terrible Dungeon of Doom and the horrid match he had at WCW Uncensored with the Giant. But this guy was a huge star in Britain well before he ever came over this way. Only to be stuck in the Dungeon of Doom. Now, it started off as a good uh, stable in WCW and just tanked after that. I don't know. I never thought the Dungeon of Doom was much. I thought it was better when they were the the three faces of fear when it was Kevin Sullivan, the Butcher, and Avalanche. And yes. it went and it should have ended there. That's where but I get it. Kevin Sullivan has come out and said the reason he created the Dungeon of Doom was because he had to have all this monster hill factory for Hogan. And what better way to just throw them all together so you don't have them all over the the card each and every night. You can just put them all in a mixed tag or some eight-man, six-man, 22-man, whatever. And I get it. But at that time, Avalanche, Kamala, Haystacks, I mean, these guys were well past their prime. The Giant came in. He was the son of Andre, and he was greener than grass. Granted, he became much better, and he got good quick. But, I mean, you really think about it, the Giant, his first ever match, he won the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Now, granted, he didn't keep it because of a technicality, but... It was a shock value win. And then, and that was in October, and then he won the belt again in, like, April and kept it till he lost it to Hogan at, in August. So, I mean, he was pushed to the moon quick, and he was good, but he, he was very green. The matches were quick. But I used to love watching. They'd have like WCW Saturday night, and they did it with Loch Ness, and they did it with the Giant. They'd have them one-on-three versus jobbers, and those were always real fun to watch, I thought. I loved watching guys get squashed by these big, massive heels. They did it with Vader back in the day, too. Oh, yeah. Especially with his run when he was starting his run with Hogan, and he was on Vader's path of destruction. That was always a good time. Same with Earthquake when he was in WWF. I mean – he literally was a massive heel then. I mean, mm-hmm. I think they didn't book him 100% correctly, but um, I was a huge wrestling fan. I, I didn't have picking the side of WWF or WCW. I literally watched wrestling. Yeah, and that, that was the same. It's not like now you get these people that are diehard WWE or diehard AEW. Just watch them both. I mean – I don't get into AEW as much as I get into WWE, but I watch it. Yeah, there's pros and cons to both. If there's right? nothing else I'm doing, I'm going to watch it. If there's nothing better and AEW's on, I'll watch it. Or if there's a pay-per-view, I mean, I, granted, I would watch pay-per-views a lot more if they had a deal set up like with the WWE Network on Peacock because paying $50, especially now that they're going to be doing more pay-per-views, I'm not paying $50 every month for AEW. Just because my main criticism with them is I think a lot of it's just thrown together and there's not a lot of story. But I mean, that's neither here nor there. But yeah, I used to 
my little brother and I, we'd, I mean, you remember we grew up in the same neighborhood. Yeah. We started watching all these, especially once the NWO hit, we were ordering WCW and WWF pay-per-views every month at one of our houses. And if Dave and I were grounded, my grandmother would tape them. Yeah. She'd order it and send us the pay-per-view on VHS. So that way we could watch it. Uh, once we were off grounded. So. Yep, because I was grounded a lot. Uh, me too. <laughs> I, I don't know well, who was the worst influence, you or I, at the time. So Yeah, who knows? But, hey, did you hear that? You know what that means, right? That means it's my turn. Mm. Let's go to Timmy's Triviochi. Figaro. Figaro, 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 Figaro. That's not Tosca. Ugh, my ears. My neck, my back. Yep, yep, I remember. Everyone remembers when Elvis performed that. You make a move, I want to take care of you. You know, every time I hear that, uh, and that whole my neck, my back, it had a different meaning back then when we were kids. Now it's just every time I get out of bed. That's usually what I, I think. <laughs> my neck, my back, everything my knee, else hurts. Yeah, exactly. So we're, we're going back to the Billboard Hot 100 for the week of November 15th. It's a little bit different since I don't have Timmy here to kind of quiz us and compare our music skills together. But I did want to have some trivia for you. Uh, to keep your mind sharp to kick Timmy's ass next week when he comes back. Well, Timmy does the trivia, so I can't kick his ass. Oh, true. Or whoever's uh, the guest host next week. TJ might be back next week. Cool. So if not, I think we're going to do it with Bum Wine Bob, maybe. All right. So we'll see. We have a few, but TJ might be back for a couple weeks before he has to take another hiatus. So we'll see. Well, I'm helping you stay fresh. So if you think about 1998, we were juniors in high school. Which artist? Actually, at this point in time, we were seniors. Oh, that's true. It was beginning of senior year. Yeah, November, we were seniors. So which artist, known for their work with the Fugees, topped the charts with doo-wop, that thing, in 1998? That is correct. Question number two. Lately was a hit for which R&B girl group, a trio that had a brief but notable presence in the late 1990s? Lately? Trio. Brief. So it couldn't be Destiny's Children. Nope. They weren't even around until 99, I think. Um, TLC wasn't brief. Ian Vogue. No. SWV? Nope, it was not Sisters with Voices. But I will play you a hint of the song. I've never heard that song before in my life. So that was the girl group called Divine. Yeah, never in a million years will I got that. All right. Question number three. Monica's The First Night samples a track 
from which famous soul artist 1976 hit Lug ha- Love Hangover? James Brown. Jewel, you do not feel good with that answer because it's incorrect. <laughs> hmm. She is a supreme. Diana Ross. That is correct. There we go. Question number four. The song One Week by Bare Naked Ladies is known for its fast-paced lyrics. What is the song's opening line? Is that the one from American Pie? Yes. I don't know the opening line. The answer is, it's been one week since you looked at me. It's been one week since you looked at me. Yeah, I love that song. And American Pie. Yes. They need to make another American Pie movie. And not one of the straight-to-video ones that are trash. They need to make one with Stifler and all them. That has my neck, my back, and everything else aching. Yeah, now they're going to be grandparents. Exactly. Question number five. Because of you was a hit for which American boy band that was part of the late 90s pop explosion? Oh, I was thinking Kelly Clarkson. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Kelly Clarkson. Because of you? Yes. NSYNC. Wrong boy band. Backstreet Boys. Wrong that boy band. 98 degrees. You got it. 98 degrees. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Good job. You know what that means. Hit the clip. Oh, it's time for game phase. Have you seen it? You slip her the hot beef injection. All right. Once again, four movies. Our guest host leads seven to four. So we will see if Timmy miraculously comes back to win for the month. Starting off with movie number one. On a budget of $23 million. Our first movie this week grossed an impressive $190 million at the box office. Movie number one is an American sports comedy film, November 1998. A socially inept, stuttering 31-year-old man becomes the water boy. The water boy. Justin beat you out, Timmy. Bobby Boucher. Bobby Boucher. I was going to say, Captain, say no. He sure he's no moisty. My Abdullah Ablengare ain't working, mama. All right. So it's now guest host eight, Timmy four. He's going to need some extra points on one of these last three to win. I think the reason he called out today was because he knew he wouldn't win this week. If you don't get this, I will legit give Timmy five points. Movie number B. On a budget of somewhere between 25 million and 60 million, movie number B this week grossed a disappointing 40 million dollars at the box office. You and I saw movie number B together at the theater. 
its predecessor from the previous year grossed more than 125.3 million. This is an American slasher film. The murderous fisherman with a hook is back. I don't know what you did last summer. There you go. Timmy C, you lose again, buddy. I still know what you did last summer. All right. At this point in time, I was dating Stephanie. Saw this movie with her Mm. at the movie theater and Olivia and fell asleep. It sucked balls. On a budget of $90 our third movie this week grossed more than $142.9 million at the box office. This is an American romantic fantasy mystery film. This is also definitely not one of Dave's faves. Death, who takes the form of a young man killed in an accident, asks a media mogul to act as his guide to teach him about life on Earth, and in the process, he falls in love with the mogul's daughter. Meet Joe Black. Meet Joe. You're killing it, dude. It's Brad Pitt. Why would I not know Brad, Brad Pitt? Pitt, Anthony Hopkins, and Claire Forlani. She's hot, by the way. All right. Justin is going for the clean sweep here. It is now 10 to 4. Can he make it 4 and 0 oh on the week? I beat Timmy so bad he hasn't even had a chance to talk yet. On a budget somewhere in the neighborhood of around $100 million. Our last film this week raked in more than $363.3 million at the box office. This is an American animated comedy film. A misfit ant looking for warriors to save his colony from greedy grasshoppers Recruits a group of bugs that turn out to a be bugs inept. Uh, Justin with the clean sweep. Bam. For the first time ever. Bam. Guess 11. Timmy C4. We have a clean sweep on the board. You killed it, my friend. You killed it. Uh, if you would ask for any movies, uh, prior to our high school career, probably would not have been able to do it. But we were pretty much in the movie theaters almost every weekend. Every Friday we went to movies. Yep. So now it is time for the main event of our show. And that would be Sunday Night Heat for November 15th, 1998. Our announcers for the show, Michael Cole and Jim Cornette. It was at the Keel Center in St. Louis, Missouri. We're starting tonight's show with a rundown of the 1998 Survivor Series, Deadly Games, WWF Title Tournament, and its competitors. Legion of Doom 2000, which consisted this week of Animal and Draws, Versus Bob Holly and Two Cold Scorpio with Al Snow and Head accompanying them as well. The prior week on Raw, 
draws an animal had turned on Hawk during his drunk angle and poor taste. Yes, very. Start with a brawl before draws tosses out Holly an animal hits Scorpio with a body slam. Scorpio hits a spinning heel kick to regain control and tags in Holly. Holly gets some offense in on draws before he tags in a big clothesline and floors draws. LOD 2000 hits the double clothesline followed up by a doomsday device. But while the ref has his back turned, Al Snow jumps in the ring and clobbers draws with a head allowing Scorpio to pick up the pinfall. Your winners, Bob Holly and Scorpio. I never really got into this Draws character. I thought it was stupid when he came in as puke. And I thought it was even worse when he joined LOD and had puke, hawk, and animal. It just didn't work. The drunk hawk thing was terrible and terrible taste. Especially knowing, you know, then we didn't really know that he he was fighting demons. They did it again later. Well, WCW did it again with Scott Hall. It was terrible then as well. LOD 2000 returned at WrestleMania 14 that year. And they were hot. They had Sonny with them. They won the Battle Royal to become the number one contenders. And were as over as ever until... The very next month, they faced the New Age Outlaws and lost, and everything just spiraled out of control from there. I never understood that booking. I I mean, I get it. The New Age Outlaws were hot, but they had been champions for a while. They could have they could have dropped the titles for a short period. Somebody else could have beaten LOD because the New Age Outlaws turned face. They could have got the belts back. Didn't really get it, especially this time with What's his nuts? Bro, bro. What's that fucker's name? Riddle. No. The writer. Oh. Vince Vince Russo. Your best friend, Vince Russo. Yeah, with Vince Russo. I mean, title changes were happening all the time anyway. I didn't get it. I loved the look of the new LOD 2000. It was awesome. Spruced it up some. But man, it didn't last long. And and this, especially watching it back now, horrible. I think they both. Uh, well, I don't think Animal has as many de- demons as what Hawk did back in the day. But I think they were punished based off of Hawk's demons that he was dealing with. Um, and it's sad that they kind of brought his demons to life on on TV. It definitely wasn't fair to either one of them. Yeah. Now we go from that. To uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin shown backstage with the Stooges demanding he go see Vince. I will tell you, the best thing about this uh, episode was being able to relive uh, the Attitude Era. It was one of my favorite times in wrestling. Yeah, I mean, it was it was awesome growing up at, you know, coming from the Golden Era to the lows of the new generation Mm -hmm. and then to it just the popularity skyrocketing for the attitude era with Austin and rock and Mr. McMahon and degeneration X and the undertaker and the way everything just worked out. It was, 
I mean, I think the NWO played a huge part in all of that because I don't think WWE was really going to change. Right. I mean, think of how bad WWE has been until AEW came. I agree. And I mean, I think a lot of that is Vince was finally shown the door, but they need competition. They never had competition. WCW was not competition until the NWO. Nope. And anybody that tells you different is lying because they weren't. Go back and watch some WCW from 93, 94. It was fucking horrible. Yep. Speaking of uh, no competition, we move into our next match, which was Tiger Ali Singh versus Val Venus. Now, Singh starts off the match with the upper hand until a clothesline from Val Venus. We get stopped mid-match with uh, Pacific Blue and LaFemme Nikita. Just a reminder, they are up next if you uh, want to watch and are not getting Survivor Series. Yeah, that's the Survivor Series is coming on pay-per-view, and they're pushing Pacific yeah. Blue and LaFemme Nikita on. Did anybody ever watch that shit? Uh, I can tell you I didn't. Uh, we, we busted our ass to make sure that we were watching Survivor Series up next. Uh <laughs> Tell me why you have Sunday Night Heat on to go ahead and pimp the show that follows it when your pay-per-view is coming up. Yeah, piss off. I wouldn't even – I'd be like, I'm not reading this shit. I totally forgot that those days, and it was nice that we have the cock now to where we can watch the premium live events and not have to be reminded of what shit's on the cock anyway. La Femme Nikita, Silk Stockings. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, we go back to the match, and Singh regains control of the match and as it spills to the outside – uh, as it spills to the outside, the Godfather, without his hose, attacks Tiger Ali Singh from the back and throws him back into the ring where Val Venus hits the perfect plex and picks up the win. Old Tiger Ali Singh. He was supposed to be a big deal when he first came to the WWF after his signing in January of 97. The only noticeable or noticeable, the only notable accomplishment he ever had was winning the second WWF Kuwait Cup tournament in April of 97. I think shortly they, thereafter, they figured this guy sucks. After being shipped down to Puerto Rico in 2000 to hone his skills, it just never clicked, man. In December of 2001, Singh suffered his third concussion in nine months at an outdoor wrestling match in Puerto Rico. It had begun to rain and Singh went back to his dressing room to change into his street clothes and the promoter came and forced Singh to go back out and finish the match. Singh was given an ultimatum by the promoter to finish the match in the rain or he would be fired by the WWE. Singh agreed to finish the match and within five minutes he slipped on a wet ring surface and hit his head. He was knocked unconscious. When he came to, he found himself alone and sensed something was not right. He says in fear of meeting the same fate as Bruiser Brody, he immediately left for the airport and flew home to Toronto where he sought medical attention and focused on healing from his injuries. Three months later, WWE sent him his termination papers. To this day, Tiger Ali Singh believes he was left to die in Puerto Rico. That's absolutely crazy. Yes. Speaking about being left to dying... On my show, when we talk about the DOA, it's usually dead on arrival. But on this show, we're talking about the Disciples of Apocalypse. Former WCW World Heavyweight Champion and Florida State Seminole legend, Ron Simmons. 
no, no, no. We're, that that would be the acolytes. Yeah, I was talking. They're about. about to make their first ever appearance. Well, damn. damn. Wait for me to to, <laughs> to at least introduce it. All hell, Farouk. Uh so the DOA make their uh, way to the ring, but they are attacked by this new d- duo of Bradshaw and Farouk, and are absolutely destroyed. This, my friends, is the debut of the Acolytes. I love with Michael Cole's, what's with the satanic writing on their bodies? What They have matching trunks. Is this a new team? Love it's, it. It's crazy how well Michael Cole has gotten better over the years. I used to could not stand Michael Cole back in those days. Uh, but just hearing him and uh, Jim Cornette on Heat, I was like, man, I actually like Cornette on commentary, uh, even though I despise him as a human being. But anyway, we go back to Sunday Night Heat, where the camera cuts backstage to a young Kevin Kelly. You know where Kevin Kelly went to school? Where's uh, Please don't say FSU. Florida State Seminole legend, Kevin Kelly. That's probably why he didn't know how to read in his segment with the New Age Outlaws. You know he's with AEW now? He is, for the Ring of Honor brand. Uh, So Kevin Kelly Kelly is with the New Age Outlaws, and during the beginning of the interview, the Headbangers and D'Lo Brown with Mark Henry interrupt and start attacking the Outlaws. They brawl to the back and continue beating the hell out of each other. The camera then cuts to our only women's segment of the evening. I'm going to repeat that. The camera then cuts to the only women's segment of the evening, giving a recap of the feud between Sable and Jacqueline for the WWF Women's Championship. Sable then hits the ring and talks about her WWF Women's Championship match against Jacqueline and guarantees she will win the championship tonight at Survivor Series. Mark Marrow then makes his way down and tells her to think about this because Jacqueline will hurt her. Sable's not even a wrestler. Jacqueline comes in from behind and nails Sable with the WWF women's title. In case you were wondering, Sable did indeed win the title from Bubba Johnson at Survivor Series. If you don't know who Bubba Johnson is, get back into the FFP archives, USWA. Miss Texas, a.k.a. Jacqueline. Versus the Disco Inferno. That's a man. His name's Bubba Johnson. The match between Jacqueline and Sable went three minutes and 14 seconds. The WWF sure loved their women back in the 90s. You know, Jacqueline deserved more credit than she was given back in the day. Um, She was one of the only women who wrestled in multiple federations and made an impact in all of them. Known prior to her WWF, WWE run as Miss Texas, as Dave allotted, uh, and also as Sweet Georgia Brown in WCW or WCCW, USWA, Japan, Memphis, and TNA. Jackie Moore, the woman behind the character, was rightfully inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2016, becoming the first black woman to receive this honor. Now, after the break, we are 
able to see the brood enter uh, the arena for the next match. It's Steve Blackman versus Gangrel. The only thing that sucked was this entrance. They didn't come through the floor. Yes. I think it was based off that arena and the, the new shape uh, or yeah. the shape of the entrance. And from what I've heard, they're reverting back to those entrances uh, because of the UFC merger or the uh, TKO merger. They're trying to get more people into the arenas. Oh, yeah. They got to get rid of the huge video board. So I'm, I'm going to call it. And we're filming. Today is the 21st of November. Uh, and Summer Sl- or Survivor Series is this Saturday. Uh, they just released more tickets for Survivor Series in Chicago. They must have got rid of it. I think you are going to see that return this Saturday. That is just my prediction. It's not a spoiler. It is just a prediction. So if it comes true, you heard it here first on FFP. Actually, so, this releases after the fact. Well, you heard it after the fact on FFP. Uh, Gangrel starts out on the t- attack before catching a big boot from Steve Blackman. After some chops from Blackman, Gangrel regains control of the match and scores a couple of near fall p- pins. Uh, the match is going back and forth before Christian uses the numbers game to their advantage and distracts the ref, allowing Edge to drop kick Blackman off the top rope. And Gangrel hits him with the Impaler DDT to pick up the win. I was so disappointed they didn't have their entrance, man. So disappointed. I like these guys, though. The Brood, I thought they were awesome. Way better than the Rated R Superstar shit. This is when Edge was cool with the Brood. Loved it. Gangrel, killer gimmick. When the blood would drop on people, epic. Yeah, that that was back from, uh, what was the vampire movie? Blade? Wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So that that was when Blade was very hot and the blood just going everywhere. So but Gangrel always had that gimmick. He was the vampire warrior on the independence. But yeah, they started dropping the blood and things like that. It came right after Blade because Blade came out around this time. The only disappointment with with that faction was I was disappointed they didn't add Luna Vachon to that group. I think yeah, she was totally kicked ass with that. Because she was Gangrel's wife at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So we flash forward right after the match and blue blazer repels down from the rafter, but gets stuck in the harness and is pounded on by Blackman as he's dangling from the, the uh, rafter. You know, this was really funny at the time. I mean, it was great. Him getting stuck. He's supposed to be the superhero gimmick. He gets stuck in the, you know, in the harness and Blackman's just kind of using him as a human pinata. But about seven months later, Owen Hart fell to his death. And this is just, it's not funny anymore. You know, because I, I remember this because we watched this live. And this was comedic shit, man. But God, it sure looks bad now. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I think we chuckled at the time. Uh, having to rewatch this today for this episode really hit my stomach hard. Uh, almost made me want to throw up. Why they didn't stop that angle after this, or at least make sure that they had things better controlled. Uh, well, no, this this was it was meant to do that for this segment. It was supposed yeah. to do that, but I, 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 I kind of feel like him being afraid of heights. 
and them still having him do it. Like you could have had, you could have done other things than him having to rappel down from the ceiling. If he, if he wasn't comfortable doing that, he should have never have had to do it. Yeah. I, I just think poor taste and everything. So, uh, the world has lost a amazing wrestler because of this situation. We, we never got to see Owen's full potential because of that. So, um, so we segue into the next segment and Mr. McMahon is out in the ring and demands the rock Shane McMahon and stone cold Steve Austin come to the ring and join him and his stooges. The pops each of them get coming to the ring is huge. Just being able to hear that and just understanding that the rock still hadn't hit his, his main like stride stone cold was just battling mcmahon for the 316 stuff it it just gave me chills just remembering that stuff so yeah after watching this i want to go watch i want to go watch survivor series oh yeah yeah so before vince can get any words out the undertaker comes down and all hell breaks loose and the ring my favorite part of that was he starts to go talk and all of a sudden you hear gong. The best part was go back and watch the error, this error here. Once the undertaker has turned heel, his entrance music changed. Mm-hmm. And that was the best entrance music he ever had. I absolutely love the demonic undertaker gimmick and the entrance music that he had. It was still kind of like the same old, but like a new rock version of it. Epic. So much better for the character than the slow, you know, that, that that he's known for his original entrance music. So much better. Yep. So as soon as that music hits and Undertaker hits the ring, Austin and Undertaker start brawling in the ring when X-Pac appears. And now all the men are brawling in the ring with more of the tournament participants coming in. And it's just one badass huge brawl in the ringside area and the show fades to black as we end the show dave i don't know about you but this was one of my favorite survivor series back in the day as it changed the format of the pay-per-view and really made it mean something for being the ultimate survivor of this pay-per-view yeah i like tournaments one of my favorite as a kid i always loved the king of the ring um, I didn't like it as much when they changed it to from the eight man tournament down to the four man tournament as the day of the event. I always liked it. Uh, going back, I listened to Grill and JR. They did this same episode this week, and a lot of the matches were very short and things like that. I think they put too many guys in it. It should have just been a straight up eight man tournament. Uh, I think they had like 12 or something in it because a couple people got buys and this, that, and the other. But they should have done an eight-man tournament. You get, I mean, get have a little bit of, I mean, I want to say The Rock beat the boss man in like literally like 10 seconds in one of the matches. And there was a lot of just schmoz finishes and things like that. But that's kind of what the WWF was at this time, though. Things were crazy. Uh, people were watching. And I want to say... They said that the 1997 Survivor Series, which was Gang Rules, the Montreal Screwjob, 
they said it had what was it like 250,000 buys and this one one year later 420,000 buys dude it was WWE was on fire on fire everything they touched turned to gold and they were very you go back and think about it they did not have a lot of main event players they had Austin they had Undertaker those at the time cuz Shawn Michaels was out I guess you could count Kane, but Sean, or but Austin, Undertaker, and Kane were the only three men in the WWE who were prior world champions. If you think about it, this is where they built the Rock. Yeah, but this was the buildup of, of the Rock. Yep. I mean, they did have Shamrock, but he hadn't won anything. He, he never did. He, I mean, Grant, he won the TNA or whatever, but that's to you know whatever. But, but think of how they did it. Triple smart. H. But I mean, just think of what they built. Triple H, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Undertaker, Kane. All of these guys are bona fide legends. Household names now. Yeah. Mankind. So they had just signed Kurt Angle here. He was going to Dory Funk Jr.'s Wrestling Academy. It was only going to look up because I mean, Kurt Angle was pushed to the moon as soon as he started, too. Mm-hmm. So it didn't take long before they started building their own. They didn't need the old superstars that were going to WCW, they were building their own. And just, I mean, just think of how misused Goldust was. He should have been a world champion. I mean, Goldust was in this tournament. William Regal or man's man, Steven Regal was in this with X-Pac, but just, just, they didn't have a lot. They were very shaky because you always think about it. Somebody won the title. They first always feuded with like mankind and, you know, Foley never won until that raw, but, and then, you know, a year later, triple H is top of the card. So there's a lot going on. These guys, I liked the original Survivor Series. I liked it in, you know, it was in 92. They started having some other matches that weren't just Survivor Series type matches, and I was cool with that. I kind of miss it, and I, I liked it when it was, you know, they picked their own teams. It wasn't Raw versus SmackDown. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't really get into those. The last really good Survivor Series to me that was the Survivor Series was when they incorporated NXT into it as well. Yep. Uh, but I'm okay with it the way it is now with war games. It kind of brings back kind of the old Survivor Series feel. So I'm looking forward to this weekend's. I don't know when I'm going to watch it because Florida State and Florida are playing at the same time. So might be double TV in it this weekend. But I'm good with it, man. I mean, I've always... Yeah, growing up, we had Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, King of the Ring hit in 93, SummerSlam, Survivor Series. That was it. Yeah. And they made it count. I think what I like looking back at this one and looking at – so first of all, I was pissed at first that we weren't covering a pay-per-view for this episode. But I appreciate the fact that you made us watch Sunday Night Heat prior to the Mm pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Because I couldn't remember how they built up the story for The Rock. And if you think about it for this one, they literally made him look like the good guy throughout Sunday Night Heat 
all throughout Survivor Series. So when he turned on everybody at the end, that swerve really hit everyone hard. And see, if you're like me, and I've kind of always been this way, I don't want spoilers. No. I don't want to go to a movie and know what happened. Don't tell me, don't send me to see Star Wars if I've never seen it and tell me that Darth Vader's Luke Skywalker's dad. I don't want to know that shit. Let me find out. You're kidding. (laughs) Spoiler alert. But like, I don't understand why people want spoilers. It's, I mean, it's been all over the Twitter, especially now with Twitter. You can't block it. You just have to not. The other day. There's a guy, and I like—I mean, I like the guy. His name's like Nico Extra or something like that. And he loves NXT, and he goes to all the NXT events. And a couple weeks ago, NXT was recorded like an hour early. And the first thing he did was spoil that the what are the the Italian guys on NXT won the tag titles before the show even started was aired on TV. Like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. But people do that. They always want to be the first to to be this, you know, scoop the news or whatever. And nobody gets to enjoy the shit. Like, had we known that Rock was going to turn face or turn heel, because he had a very brief face run here, but he was over. But had we known that it was all a swerve from the get go, dude, it would have taken so much out of this pay per view. You know, it's just, I mean, it's just like Randy Orton's returning. The the announcement last night was killed because everybody knew it was so coming. many had already said like the dude. Why? If you know, that's the only thing that I don't like about social media. Well, other than it gives morons a platform to talk, but like not everybody wants to know this shit, man. I want to watch wrestling and be surprised. The CM Punk return to AEW would have been so much cooler. If we didn't already know CM Punk was coming to AEW. So it's stuff like that. that gets annoying. And I mean, it, it, you know, this, this, the, the internet was in its infancy here. And, you know, I, I used to subscribe to newsletters and stuff and I would read the raw results when raw was taped, but that's because, you know, I would flip back and forth between raw and nitro. And if I already knew what happened, and it was Sal Sincere versus Bob Holly. You don't skip out on that one and already know what happened. But I was also a kid. Yeah. But now, like, dude, I don't want to know. Nope. Well, guys, if you enjoyed this week's episode, please let us know. Give us that five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow the show on all the social media platforms and follow us individually. Justin, where can they follow you? You can follow me at at Justin Yent on X, or you can follow the Evolution of Evil podcast at at e, Evolution of EVI2 on X as well. You can follow me at Dave in the HSV. You can follow my co-host Timmy C at Timmy C1979. And our host, TJ, he is on X at TStevens91. Next week, we cover WWE ECW December to Dismember. You don't want to miss that shit show. 
joke of the week. Why should you never start a relationship with a person who's cross-eyed? Because they're always seeing someone on the side. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, we leave you. Thanks again for having me, Dave. Thank you, buddy. Loved it.